Hello, this is Kelly McGee, and it is September 26, 2020. And I'm changing my schedule a little bit because uh, at the end of the Wars of the Nephilim Kings, he mentioned about another podcast that he had that talked about great secrets of the occult. So I found it, and we're going to go to that one and circumvent the one that I had set up so because I may find some information on the archons on this one God bless and welcome to the beginning and end podcast the official podcast of the beginning and end.com website we are a Christian news site dedicated to covering the latest issues affecting the church end time Bible prophecy the Nephilim, pop culture, Bible study. We have Sunday school lessons uploaded, lots of materials that will just here to glorify and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ that you can find at beginningandend.com. We have the link to the website, to our social media, to our YouTube channel, to our podcast. You can find all this information in the show description. Today's podcast, we are continuing with our Nephilim series. We are now in part four of our Nephilim series, The Nephilim and the Great Secret of the Occult. And in our first three installments, our first three episodes of the Nephilim series, we really were going through scripture, taking a biblical examination at Genesis 6, the account of the Nephilim, the giants before the flood, after the flood, and really showing the significant role they played in biblical history. These were not insignificant fringe characters in the biblical account. The giants played a huge role. And so if you have not listened to the first three parts or watched them, I strongly encourage you to. But today's episode is taking a different look. What we're looking at, and we alluded to this in our second episode, Nephilim Giants, Enemies of God in the Bible, where we explained and revealed an occult secret linked to the Nephilim that even Wikipedia did not have the answer to an explanation of it. And if you didn't listen to that episode and you want to know that secret, check out episode two and you can find that out, our second part, or part two rather, in the, in the Nephilim series. But today we're looking at the Nephilim and the great secret of the occult. And we're going to look at what, when we see these symbols, if you've blogged or gone on blogs or YouTube, you'll see many, many videos about occult Freemasonry, uh, witchcraft, what do these symbols mean? And many, many of these sources will give you the explanation as the the kind of historic understanding of these symbols. But today we want to show how the Bible shows the connection between these occult secrets and symbols and what they're concealing and the book of Genesis and the Holy Scriptures. And it's going to be interesting because we're going to show you that even the occult Authors, practitioners, philosophers themselves say that the secret they are concealing is in the Bible. So that is today's episode. And so as we start, we of course want to go to scripture and make sure we understand why are we even looking at this. You know, obviously studying Genesis, studying the book of Numbers and the wars against the giants after the flood, that's biblical. That is clearly a part of of growing as a Christian. You should know that as you move from 
the, the milk of scripture to the meat of scripture, you should understand all parts of the Bible. The Bible says that all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, uh, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we should be studying these things to grow in our knowledge of God and, and gain spiritually. But when we're looking at the occult, it's important to understand that the purpose of this program today is not to get you to start studying occult books or read the writings of Albert Pike or anything of that sort. It's just to have general knowledge so that yeah. we can give an answer and an explanation I to help say, boost man, our testimony. Because we may know people who are in the occult, who are in the New Age movement, who are involved in Freemasonry or some sort of society or witchcraft or Wicca. You know, these are fast growing movements in the United States, but all over the world. And so that's what this is about. And we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5 to see our biblical mandate for why we should have general knowledge and be able to explain God's truth over the occult. And in Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to start with verse 6, we read, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And this is going to be a big theme today, vain words. So much of the new age, so much of the occult is about repetition of vain words. Continuing to verse 7, we read, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And that verse 11 is really a big part of the mission of our ministry, that we of course are not to have any fellowship with the occult, with the new age movement with pagan religions but the verse continues to say but rather reprove them and that means to expose them to prove their error in the face of god's word and that is why we're having this program today because we want to expose these things to show that god's truth is is superior and is the real truth and as we continue in that passage it says that for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So what does this mean? That when we reprove something, when we expose something that's evil, that can only happen from light. So you are representing the light of Christ when you can expose the evil, unfruitful works of darkness. And so this is what the Bible encourages us to do, and that's why we're going to reveal these secrets and these symbols and what they mean. We'll read one more verse, or two more verses rather. Deuteronomy 29, 29, we read, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So again, the secret things belong to God, but he will reveal some of these secrets to us. Why? To help us better follow him. And finally, Psalm 25, 14. We read, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will shew them his covenant. So understanding God's secrets and learning these things is a product 
of having a close relationship with him, having godly fear, godly wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So we read these passages just to show that we have a biblical foundation for this type of study that we're doing today. So now let's get to the article, The Nephilim and the Great Secret of the Occult. So we want to start in the we want to start by just pointing out that a number of the most legendary occult philosophers, writers, mystics point to the Bible and say they're the secret that they are talking about, this great secret that they have been withholding and hiding and passing on secretly through symbols and through societies for ages is in the Bible. So we're going to start with Albert Pike, author of Morals and Dogma legendary 19th century Freemason philosopher, 33rd degree Freemason, Confederate War Journal, Luciferian, very well known if you study any of these things, his name comes up constantly. And he wrote in Morals and Dogma, therein is the secret fire, living and philosophical, of which all the hermetic philosophers speak with the most mysterious reserve, the universal seed, the secret whereof they kept, and which they represented only under the figure of the caduceus of Hermes. This is the grand hermetic arcanum, so that the great work is more than a chemical operation. It is a real creation of the human word initiated into the power of the word of God. So isn't that interesting? This, the great grand arcana, the great secret of the occult, is connected to the Bible. Dan Brown, author of The Da Vinci Code, a book we will be discussing extensively on this program today, wrote his follow-up book, The Lost Symbol. Now, The Lost Symbol dealt with Freemasonry and the protagonist, the professor, who's a Harvard professor who understands ancient symbols and ancient cultures and ancient mysteries. He's entangled in this great conspiracy and mystery, and it's all connected to uh, this lost symbol and this hidden name that it turns out was basically hidden in a Bible that was buried under a monument in Washington, D.C. And in the end, that was, you know, the irony is that this book, you know, when we look at the Da Vinci Code, which we'll talk about, which is a very anti-Christian book, um, blasphemous book, but in the lost symbol, the secret was in the Bible. So he wrote on page 49, the lost symbol, the reason is that there exist powerful secrets hidden in the pages of this ancient book, referring to the Bible, a vast collection of untapped wisdom waiting to be unveiled. Here's another quote from a Freemasonic book called The Ignorant Learned, the great Masonic truths concealed among the learned of former ages under allegories and fables are therefore lost. Albert Pike, author of Morals and Dogma, legendary... 19th century Freemason philosopher, 33rd degree Freemason, Confederate War Journal, Luciferian, very well known if you study any of these things, his name comes up constantly. And he wrote in Morals and Dogma, therein is the secret fire, living and philosophical, of which all the hermetic philosophers speak with the most mysterious reserve, the universal seed, the secret whereof they kept and which they represented only under the figure of the caduceus of Hermes. This is the grand hermetic arcanum, so that the great work is more than a chemical operation. It is a real creation of the human word initiated into the power of the word of God. So isn't that interesting? This, the great grand arcana, the great secret of the occult, is 
connected to the Bible. Dan Brown, author of The Da Vinci Code, a book we'll we will be discussing okay, extensively on this program today, get a paper bag. wrote his follow-up book, The Lost Symbol. Now, The Lost Symbol dealt with Freemasonry and the protagonist, the professor, who's a Harvard professor who understands ancient symbols and ancient cultures and ancient mysteries. He's entangled he in this great conspiracy and mystery, and it's all connected to uh, this lost symbol, this hidden name that it turns out was basically hidden in a Bible that was buried under a monument in Washington, D.C. And in the end, that was, you know, the irony is that this book, you know, when you look at the Da Vinci Code, which we talk about, which is a very anti-Christian book, um, blasphemous book within the lost symbol, the secret is in the Bible. So he wrote in page 49, the lost symbol, the reason is that there exist powerful secrets hidden in the pages of this ancient book, referring to the Bible, a vast collection of untapped wisdom waiting to be unveiled. Here's another quote from a Freemasonic book called The Ignorant Learned. The great Masonic truths concealed among the learned of former ages under allegories and fables are therefore lost, long, long lost. But what is lost is not consequently destroyed. What is lost may be found. And all that is required is some clue or key. Fortunately, there are applicable keys held sacred by a body of men who know not their use. And the locks these keys fit are held sacred by all modern clergy and the multitude of religionists. The first and best evidence of the truthfulness of the keys is their being used to interpret the Bible, that heavenly book of truth. So that book doesn't even mince words. It says the secrets in the Bible, heavenly book of truth. And but where in the Bible? What is this hidden knowledge? I'll read one more quote from a book called Freemasonry in the Holy Land that really points us to right to the book of Genesis. And this is a poem in this book. And this, again, is a book written in the, in the 19th century. And there we read, I knelt beneath the cedars, old and hoar, that streak with verdure, snowy Lebanon, the mountain eagles, or the patriarch soar, the thunderclouds of summer grimly frown, where large and strong they stand, those giants of renown. So there again, we get the first direction to where in the Bible is this secret. Well, if you've been following this series, you know that first of all, the giants were the men of renown. This is Genesis chapter 6. We explained in um, our previous episodes or in the previous parts in this series that in the book of Amos chapter 2 verse 9, the Lord compares the Nephilim giants to cedar trees. Cedars of Lebanon were mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. So this is clearly pointing to Genesis 6. And so now, what is the secret? What are they talking about? What they're talking about, the secret is commonly known as the fusion of opposites. And in the Christian community, this term is not used often at all. In fact, the only real teacher, preacher I've heard mention this is Mike Hoggard, uh, the pastor of Bethel Baptist Church, who has a very... uh, extensive online ministry of vlogs, podcasts, blogging, and I've heard he's the only one I've really heard use this term in the Christian community, certainly in the New Age and the occult is used all the time. So what does this mean? It means that what these occult societies and New Age mystics are concealing 
is that the ultimate path to godhood and immortality is found in Genesis chapter 6, the account of the fallen angelic sons of God marrying the daughters of men and giving birth to the Nephilim giants, the hybrid Superman who dominated the antediluvian world. So the great expectation in the New Age and the occult is that one day, just as angels in Genesis chapter 6 entered the human realm and interacted with us and elevated us to, to transform and evolve us into something other than human, it's going to happen again. And that's really what the new age, when you hear the term the new age movement, it's when humanity has, and this is from their perspective, evolved into something greater than what we are now. The new human, homo novus. So I don't like all that. this comes back to the Bible because that's where you see this type of transformation of the Superman, the demigods, right? This is when the gods came to earth, the sons of God, where in pagan yeah, cultures they're the gods. About, um, we see this in Greek mythology, in Atlantis, Roman mythology, in Egypt, where the gods have come down to earth and imparted knowledge, evolution, transformation to humanity. And where do we see a, a reference to this happening again? We can find it in okay. Daniel chapter 2. And we're, we go into great detail into this in the I article, but in this podcast, in this video, we're going to just do a brief overview. But of course, in Daniel chapter 2, and we have a separate show on Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, a dream, a nightmare that scares him so greatly and is so disturbed in his spirit that he calls in all of his occult practitioners the Chaldeans, the astrologers, all the mystics, the magicians, the sorcerers because he wants an interpretation but he cannot even remember what the dream is. But that's how scary it was. He can't even remember what he dreamt but he was so frightened by it that he demanded that his magicians not only tell him the dream that he could not remember but also interpreted for him and he did he he ordered this to be done under penalty of death and so of course these occult practitioners relying on demons and spirits that are not of god that are evil spirits could not do it but daniel who at that time the prophet daniel who was in the king's court he and and, and working with these same wise men as they were called the magi he of course steps in in the final moment to save everyone's life because he was actually potentially going to be killed as well along with all the wise men of the court prayed to God to say and went to the king so that he could interpret the dream and tell the king the dream and so picking up in Daniel chapter 2 with verse 16 we read that then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would shew the king the interpretation then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That, that those were their pagan names, but their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and that is Daniel chapter 2, verses 16 to 19. So what was the dream? The dream, of course, was of this statue. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of a giant statue that had a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, stomach and thighs of brass, and legs and feet of iron, calves and feet of iron. Each different metal represented a kingdom that would rule the earth for a time. 
the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar's own Babylonian empire. The chest and arms of silver were the Medo-Persians who eventually conquered Babylon. The stomach and thighs were the Greek empire who conquered the Medo-Persians. And the interesting thing is that when Daniel is explaining this to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, he groups the first three kingdoms together. And in Daniel 2.39, he says, And after these and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall rule, bear rule over all the earth. So Daniel clearly explains these kingdoms, starting with Babylon, will all succeed each other. Babylon will be succeeded by the silver kingdom, which later on we find out is the Medo-Persians, and then another third kingdom of brass will succeed the silver kingdom itself. But the fourth kingdom which had the calves of iron and then feet of iron and miry clay, is often described as the Roman Empire, which of course is very logical, given that the Romans succeeded the Greeks. They took over, basically ruling the known world after the Greek Empire. However, the Bible never identifies this kingdom as Rome. We can look to subsequent chapters, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, and see reference to Medo-Persia and Greece taking over. We, we even read in Daniel chapter 6 of the Medo-Persians conquering the Babylonians. So all this is recorded in Daniel, but there is no reference to Rome or the Roman Empire at all in reference to these kingdoms. But what the Iron Kingdom prophetically means and refers to is the end times kingdom of Antichrist, when the angelic realm will return to earth. And we see confirmation of this initially in Daniel chapter 2 verses 40 to 43. And this is when Daniel now describes the fourth kingdom. And there we read, And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay." fascinating passage and a great deal of the prophecy when you think about the book of daniel as a whole the book of daniel is basically a, the old testament parallel to the book of revelation so much of the prophecy in the book of daniel deals with the end times and deals with the antichrist there are many references to the antichrist kingdom in the book of daniel so to it, it's certainly no stretch contextually to say that this is a prophecy about the end times and not just continuing of the Medo-Persians being conquered by the Greeks, being conquered by the Romans. And when you see iron in the book of Daniel, it is symbolically connected repeatedly to the kingdom of Antichrist. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 to 8, Daniel again now has a vision of four beasts. And the fourth beast, again, like the fourth part of the statue has iron within it. And let's go to that description in Daniel chapter 7, starting with verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. 
It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And so, you know, this is a very bizarre image that... Daniel sees, but this ten-horned beast that grows another horn, an eleventh horn, is symbolizing the end-time kingdom that the Antichrist will emerge out of. He is that final horn that has the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. The book of Revelation chapter 13 emphasizes that the Antichrist will be a great speaker but and a blasphemer. So, in Revelation chapter 13, the apostle John sees this beast again. Right from verse 1, he stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his heads, upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as that of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So again, letting scripture interpret scripture, we're seeing the connection between these beasts and between iron. So this iron, remember the the fourth beast in Daniel chapter 7 had iron teeth. What was it bringing forth the Antichrist? End time kingdom that will be that the Antichrist will rule over because it's not just the Antichrist that beast, it's the amalgamation of that kingdom. And so Revelation 17 goes into greater detail to explain that the ten horns are ten kings that will reign with the Antichrist. So we put, you know, for more information on this, we're going to put a link to our article, Nebuchadnezzar 666, Foreshadow the Antichrist, in the show description. So you can find that as well to see all the parallels between Nebuchadnezzar, his dreams, and the reign of the Antichrist. But we want, what we want to focus on right now for our purposes is Daniel 2, verse 43. When now, if now that we've established that this Iron Kingdom is an end times reference it says that this kingdom will where the iron was mixed in clay with clay that they will mingle themselves with the seed of men now the seed of men is a reference to the genetics of human beings the first reference we see to seed in this context is genesis chapter 3 right in the garden of eden where the lord god said unto the serpent this is verse 14 because thou hast done this Thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So, of course, this is the prophecy of the seed of the woman, the Messiah, the Redeemer, who would be born of a woman, seed, meaning genetics, and destroy the devil, crush his head, the bruising meaning crushing, have the greater victory over him. Of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first prophecy of the Messiah in scripture. And so isn't it interesting that we see here in Daniel 2 that the seed, that this this iron kingdom is going to try and mingle themselves with the seed of men. So what could they be? If they're mingling themselves, the seed of men is humanity, is the human race. So who would it be mingling themselves with the seed of men something other than man something other than human and of course that brings us right back to genesis 6 when we saw the 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 time in biblical history in human history when beings came to earth and mingled themselves with the seed of men genesis chapter 6 
It came to pass when the men began to multiply on the face of the earth, oh and gosh. daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the and daughters the of archons. men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Skipping ahead to verse 4, and there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. This is the secret, beloved, that God is the secret of creation, of genetics, of a seed. This is what the occult is referencing and concealing, that they want to return to this era when you had the demigods, the gods on earth. Another interesting passage when we think about this, genetics is Psalm 139, which is really a passage that describes the creation process in the womb. King David is writing about how God formed him in the womb. And in Psalm 139, 15, we read, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And the context of the passage is all about God's creative power. Verses 15 and 16 say in Psalm 139, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So here David describes God seeing his body his substance before it was even formed yet being unperfect means when before it was complete and in god's book all his members meaning all his body parts were written down in god's book which in continuance they were fashioned when as yet there were none of them so in other words god had designed david's entire body in his book before it was even physically created in the womb how could that be that is dna DNA is the blueprint of you. Your DNA is the design of your members, of your substance, of your body. This is exactly how DNA functions. And of course, it's amazing that 3,000 years ago, King David had this revelation, obviously divinely inspired to write this. It shows how amazing the Bible is. So now that we've established this, let's now look at this. The fourth kingdom, the end times, the return of the fallen angels. And, you know, there are passages we can see where this it's it's revealed how this is going to take place. Now, first of all, when we look at the fourth kingdom, now we already saw in Daniel chapter four, I'm sorry, in Daniel chapter two, that the fourth portion of the statue mingling with the seeds of men. Daniel chapter seven, the fourth beast was the end times kingdom of Antichrist. Now again, looking at the number four in scripture, it's constantly referred to it's constantly used in connection with angels and the angelic realm. In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel sees this very dazzling, bizarre appearance of flying living creatures from heaven. They have, there are four living creatures. They had four faces. They have four wings. Their four sides had, had four faces on each side. That's Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. Remember that the Garden of Eden had four rivers. There are four cherubim that sit around the throne of God. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar said he saw four men in the furnace. The fourth, of course, was the Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate form. In Revelation chapter 7, there are four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. In Revelation 9, there are four angels imprisoned beneath the Euphrates River. So, again, we're just establishing the biblical connections to these things. 
But when do the angels return? The first time we see that is in Revelation chapter 9, when the bottomless pit is opened. And in, we read that there came up in Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 to 4 and 7 to 9. It's when the fifth angel sounds, the fifth angel blows uh, his trumpet, and the key to the bottomless pit is opened. And this angel comes to earth and opens the bottomless pit, and there came out of the, out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and there was given... And unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it goes on to describe them in verses 7 to 9. Their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of women. Their teeth as the teeth of lions. They had breastplates, as it were, yeah. breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. Now, isn't that interesting? These beings are from the bottomless pit. Their breastplates have iron. Again, this connection of iron, end times kingdom, and in the angelic end times kingdom. So we see that angels or angelic beings are going to come from the bottomless pit, but they also come from above. Revelation chapter 12 tells us in verse 7 to 9 that there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. And neither was their place, meaning the dragon, the devil, and his angels, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So what is the Bible showing us? It's showing us clearly that in the end times, you're going to have angelic beings returning to earth. They're coming from above and coming from below. Just as, you know, Jesus described the days of Noah. The water came from the ground and from the sky. The windows of heaven opened, but also the fountains of the deep opened. So this flood in the end times will be an angelic flood. And very few sermons or commentaries really talk about this. This, this is the, what the Bible teaches us, beloved, that angels are going to be on earth. The devil will be on earth in the great tribulation. But in the occult, in the New Age movement, this is what they can't wait for. They, they refer to them as ascended masters, the hierarchy, spirit guides, gods. This is what they're, they, they're, they're guardian angels. They, they are waiting for this era to come back. So we just want to establish the biblical case for what the occult is referring to. That this is what they're looking forward to and that their hope is that their ascended masters will help help them evolve, give them immortality, give them all the secrets, all the knowledge that they've always wanted. And of course, that's what Satan said in the Garden of Eden to Eve. Ye shall be as gods. That, that promise has existed since the first two people were on the earth. And of course, it's a deception. But now let's get to the symbols. So how now can we use this to interpret the, sim the symbols of the occult? So we're going to start with one of the most famous ones, the, the compass and square from Freemasonry. Now, here's Albert Pike, again, in Morals and Dogma. This is his description of the compass and square and its meaning. And see now how, in light of what the Bible teaches, we can know what they're referencing. So Pike writes, The compass as the symbol of the heavens represents the spiritual portion of this double nature of humanity, and the square as the symbol of the earth, its material, sensual, and baser portion. So the compass, which is facing downwards, is the heavenly. The square, which goes upward, is the earth. Sons of God, daughters of men, fused to create the God-man, the demigod. This is what these symbols mean. The Da Vinci Code 
the number five selling book of all time in world history. Super popular book, became a movie, extremely blasphemous book, very anti-Christian book. It was trying to discredit the Bible. And it's filled with esoteric secrets, concepts, got people so excited about this mystery that's being concealed. And the entire premise of the book is that Jesus Christ had a child with Mary Magdalene, which of course is not true and a blasphemous notion, but that is the plot of the book. And the protagonist discovers this after learning that da Vinci secretly painted Mary Magdalene in the place of the Apostle John in the Last Supper painting. And they show, you know, the, the professor in the book looks at the paintings and he's stunned by the revelation. He says, oh, you know, Da Vinci, the whole idea is that Da Vinci knew about this and hid this secret. But what does the secret mean? It means that a god came to earth and had intimate relations with a woman. Sons of God, daughters of men. This is exactly what this book is referring to as the secret. And if you look at Da Vinci's Last Supper painting, he paints Jesus, the figure of Jesus. Obviously, we should not make artwork of Jesus, but the figure of Jesus is, you know, mathematically and from an angle, exactly opposite of the Apostle John slash Mary Magdalene figure. Additionally, Jesus is wearing a red tunic with a blue sash. The John slash Mary Magdalene figure is wearing a blue tunic with a red sash. Opposites joined together fused together and in the movie or in the book da vinci code there's all this reference to hieros gamos which is a you know sacred ritual sexual a sacred sex ritual what is it reenacting it's reenacting the forbidding union between the sons of god and the daughters of men and we show in the article the movie poster for da vinci code has the a with no bar in it facing down the v in da vinci facing up and they're the same character again Fusion of opposites, as above, so below. Sons of God, daughters of men. This is what this is all referring to. Going to another symbol, we'll look at the Freemasonic, a Masonic board. If you're not familiar with this, usually has the checkerboard floor, the pillars, the ladder, the sun and the moon. Now, now that we know the secret, let's look again. What is the ladder? The ladder is a reference to Jacob's ladder. And of course, we know that in Genesis chapter 28 it says that Jacob had a dream and it says and he dreamed we're looking at verses 10 to 14 in Genesis chapter 28 and he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it so what was it it was a ladder that led to a portal from the heavenly realm to the earthly realm. It's where angels were able to enter the earthly realm. This, again, is the same idea. Sons of God returning to earth. The pillars, even in Freemasonry, they call the pillars in their images Jacob and Boaz. That exact names from the Bible that Solomon, King Solomon, gave to the pillars at the entry to the temple of God. Now, what is the significance of that? The temple was the one place in the most holy place where God would manifest his presence on the earth once a year at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So again, it was the intersection of the divine realm and the human realm. And this is what the occult and the New Age are looking forward to. They want to return to that. That's why you have on one side the sun, on the other side the moon. All these things, the floor is checkerboard, black and white. Why? Fusion of opposites. It's 
all about opposites joining together. We also reference a book called The Cosmic Serpent by a man named Jeremy Narby, who lived in the Amazon and Peru with indigenous cultures and was fascinated by the fact that shamans, you know, who lived in these indigenous cultures going back centuries were making drawings that of a intertwined snakes and serpents that resembled human DNA. And he was, you know, the double helix shape of human DNA. And he couldn't understand how you could have indigenous cultures from hundreds, in some cases, even thousands of years ago, with obviously no medical and scientific way of looking at human DNA. How do they know to make a drawing that so resembles the double helix shape of DNA? And his conclusion was that it was being done through their mystic practices and the use of hallucinogenic drugs like ayahuasca, which he himself actually took. And so he connected in his book all back to Jacob's Ladder and the Bible and the book of Genesis. So even secular researchers on this come to the, come back to the same source, the Bible. So we must be on guard about this. We'll go through a couple of other examples. We show in the article a cover from Time magazine. The cover story was solving the mysteries of DNA, and they have an image of who's you know two naked, a naked man and woman who are supposed to be Adam and Eve, and wrapped around their bodies is a DNA shape leading up to a tree. And so you see this reoccurring theme of well, who was in the Garden of Eden? The serpent. The serpent DNA. The Bible. They understand that this is what it's all being alluding to is this notion of the secret being in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. Godhood, right? That's what serpent, that's what the devil, the serpent offered Eve. Ye shall be as gods. You shall not surely die. You know, surely you shall not die. This is the secret. This is what the occult is talking about. And they think it's going to be achieved by contacting the spirit world, the heavenly realm. Let's see what other symbols can we look at. Uh, the yin-yang symbol, right? You have a circle, half of it is black, half it is white. The black half has a white dot, the white half has a black dot. And they're fused together. The two halves are fused and fit together to make a perfect circle. Again, sons of God daughters of men and we show many 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 examples in the article and the last one we're going to look at is the baphomet and of course the baphomet symbol again very well known a symbol for satan you know this in the you know anton levey and we've we've cited this in the article in articles on beginning and end is you know the founder or head former head of the church of satan said the baphomet is supposed to be the devil and so but when you look at the Baphomet, what is it? Well, it's part beast, part man. It has female body parts. It has a male phallus. It's one hand is pointing up. The other hand is pointing down. It has a light-colored moon at its head and a dark-colored moon at its feet. It's all opposites fused together. On its arms is written Salve and Coagulates, which is the, the motto of alchemy which, you know, in the early 13th, 14th, 15th centuries was supposed to be allegedly about turning lead into gold, but it was really about, that was really just a metaphor for turning men into immortals. And it, and alchemy was all built on secrecy, on concealing in artwork occult secrets. And so again, look at this common theme. Through centuries and many different cultures, it all comes back to the same notion. 
this fusion of opposites, and Batman is clearly, clearly that. And so we display all this, of course, in the article. This goes into much more detail, and you'll you'll find that. Actually, you know, we'll do one more quick example, and that's the Ouroboros, which is the snake eating its tail. And this one I always find so interesting because on the show, and first of all, we have a quote from a, a New Age website that's defining in terms of what is the Ouroboros, what does it mean? It says, and this is from a New Age website, it says that it is found in Gnosticism and alchemy representing cyclical nature, natural life and the fusion of opposites. Now, how is it a fusion of opposites? Because you have this snake with its mouth open taking in its tail. And again, it's kind of a graphic depiction of sons of God and the daughters of men merging, fusing. Now, on the TV series, The X-Files, which was about FBI agents investigating paranormal sightings, events, UFOs, and aliens primarily, Scully, Agent Scully, who was the skeptic agent of the two, was was persuaded in one episode by a, a, a lover of hers to get a tattoo, and she got an Ouroboros on her back. And so they never got into the explanation in that episode, but, you know, the overarching theme of the X-Files, the real plot of the whole show was about the creation of alien-human hybrids. And Scully herself one day would be impregnated by a baby who they allude to being part alien, part from another realm, from the heavens, and part human. So this is what these symbols mean time and time again. But now let's go to the, the truth, because it's all a deception. Will these things happen? Will the angelic realm intersect with the human realm again? Of course, the Bible says it will at some point in the end times. But the truth behind the fusion of opposites is that that's not God's way. The original fusion of opposites was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. That was the one tree that bore fruit Adam and Eve were forbidden from eating. And what was it? That tree was good and evil in one tree and that was not good for mankind and that's the one tree that satan wanted eve to eat from and tricked her into it thinking that that would be a path to immortality to enlightenment her eyes would be open she'd be as god she would surely not die and it was all it was all predicated on twisting god's word and getting her to doubt god now of course the bible is not a book of duality or fusion 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath, hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, said the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, said the the Lord God Almighty. And there are many more examples. That God is light, and there's no darkness in him at all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. The Bible teaches clearly that there's no fellowship between the darkness and the light of this world. There's no fellowship between Christianity and the occult or the New Age. We're not to have fusion and duality. We're supposed to be single in our love for God and our faith in Jesus Christ. We're not to serve the world and God. The problem with the New Age movement is that while it's exciting, 
and it tries to give a message that, oh, it's all peace, there's no judgment. Anyone can come be a part of this movement. We're not judging anyone. That's appealing to people. It makes sense to me. People, especially in this day where there's so much hatred and so much acrimony and so much negativity and people attacking each other in society every day, just go on social media if you need a refresher on that. The message that, hey, we're coming, we just want to love people. We're not telling anyone they're bad. We're not telling anyone they're going to hell. We just want to love everyone and promote the idea that one day we're going to be something greater than we are. Now, that's appealing. But here's the problem with the New Age movement. None of, nothing in the New Age movement or the occult deals with our guilt from sin and the judgment of God that is to come. It doesn't deal with our sin. It doesn't resolve the fact that we are, in our unsaved lives, we are at odds with God. We are enemies with God. That we're going to be judged by a holy, righteous, and all-powerful God who created us. Our Creator is going to judge us. The New Age movement, the occult, it ignores sin and focuses only on you, on your ego, on your pride, on making you great and your power and your evolution. This is the same deception from the Garden of Eden, beloved, and we must preach the truth to people. The true ladder between earth and heaven is Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 51, we read, And Jesus saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heavens open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What a beautiful passage Jesus is referencing all the way back to Genesis chapter 28 and saying that remember that ladder that Jacob saw in his dream? I am that ladder. I am the one who can bring humanity back into right relationship and reconciliation with the heavens, with the God of heaven. It's Jesus Christ. The New Age movement and the occult try to achieve immortality and reach heaven apart from God. This is a vain effort that will never be successful. Even in Daniel chapter 2, when it references the iron and miry clay mingling, it says they will not cleave. By the way, that word cleave we see in reference to marriage, right? A man should cleave to his wife. So again, showing that this is about marriage, seed, reproduction. But it says it's not going to work in the end times. It will fail. Interesting passage, too, from Revelation chapter 9, verse 6. It says that in those days men shall seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. So it seems that for a time the Antichrist may be able to, may be able to achieve some measure of immortality for his followers. But it's going to be the worst time in human history. Men are going to want to die and aren't going to be able to. So even that promise will be a deception. It's Christ who bridges us back to heaven, who gives us eternal life the devil does want people to consider this but you beloved have the answer so that's our study for today we want you to share god's word now you know hopefully now when you see these symbols you can identify them explain them and know that god's truth is superior and has the real answers the real truth the real light and the real immortality through faith in jesus christ so we hope you enjoyed the program today and uh we of course will be following up with part five in our Nephilim series, the Nephilim in pop culture. Now, did you know that there are many books, movies, and I'm talking about pop culture books, not religious books, and TV series about the Nephilim today? You know, there are romance novels about the Nephilim, but do they teach it and the account of Genesis 6 as the Bible teaches it? No, not at all. In fact, some even say that the Nephilim are the true messiahs of humanity. So tune in for our next episode.
Okay, so um, that was the Nephilim and the Great Hi everybody and welcome to this occult. documentary on Timeline. And, My name's Dan um, Snow. There were a lot of things in there that um, I'm not too sure about. I know that he was talking about um, the New Age melding with the Bible, and um, but they will not cleave, and that means they don't mix. They don't. It doesn't work. Um, it. I don't know that much about the New Age movement, and so it's hard for me to. Um, see what he's talking about there um, so he said the great secret of the occult is basically the um, I can't be concise on, on what it is that he said that it was I'm trying to be concise about it. Um, see, this is why um, it's important to know uh, other religions. Last night I was um, looking into Gnosticism. And, I mean, it was so bizarre. I just had no idea what they were talking about, even. I really didn't. Um... I think I think he means that the great secret of the occult is um, that the iron will cleave to clay, but it won't. So that that has me really confused. So now I have to, you know, I have another rabbit hole I have to go down so I can understand it. Anyway, thank you for taking your time and listening to it. I hope it was helpful for you. I have to go and do some more homework. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.